Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with a special Wednesday edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, but we are here with a unique edition of the show coming to you a day earlier than normal to break down everything that happened this week in the world of NXT. But we will also be covering some highlights from NJPW Battle in the Valley that went down two weeks ago, including Mercedes Monet winning the IWGP Women's Championship and Jay White fighting Eddie Kingston in a loser leaves NJPW match. You will understand why we are going to discuss those matches as we move forward with today's show. But off the top, as usual, allow the Silver King to remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defy. And that's because on this show, we love the number five. I happen to love the number Five. And you may say, Silver King, why do you love the number five so much? I'll tell you, because it's all about the five-star ratings and reviews that we hope you bring us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. On Apple and Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. On Apple, you can take a few extra moments, leave a five-star written review to let everyone know how much you love the show and tell them why they should subscribe to what is hopefully your favorite wrestling podcast. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights all week long across WWE, NXT, AEW, and beyond. You can get it on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Now, this is the second of a big four-episode week here at Getting Over. Of course, on Tuesday, we already did our WWE episode, Breaking Down SmackDown and Raw as the road to WrestleMania 39 continues. Today, we're talking NXT and New Japan Pro Wrestling. On Thursday, we will be back with your AEW Revolution Ultimate Preview. Vintage Chris Vanini will be along for the ride in that episode. And then on Sunday, yes, Sunday, not Saturday, I misspoke on the WWE episode Tuesday, but this coming Sunday, we will have AEW Revolution Instant Analysis for you as soon as that show goes off the air. So every reason in the world, if you happen to be a first-time listener or if you're an occasional listener and you haven't subscribed yet, every reason in the world to hit that button and subscribe, joining your boys here at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. As mentioned, we have two big topics on today's show, NXT and New Japan. We're going to kick things off with NXT, where we will also provide you with a not-so-ultimate preview of NXT Roadblock, the TV special, next week. And then in the second half of today's episode, we will talk New Japan, Mercedes Monet, Mercedes Money. I don't exactly know how they're supposed to say that name. I heard, I've heard it both ways. I heard it both ways on the New Japan broadcast. It's one of the two, but we'll talk about her. We'll talk about Jay White, Eddie Kingston, all of that later in the show. As always, you can visit our episode description for timestamps if needed, but I always hope that you're listening to the entire show. Let's kick things off with NXT, which straight up, on Tuesday night, I thought was the best episode of NXT top to bottom this year without question. And you know what? It was one of the best episodes of NXT since the end of the black and gold era. And you could even make an argument. It was the best. Every segment hit to at least some degree. We got the hottest start to an NXT show in quite some time. There were some really strong promos, great storyline development, 
and a banger match that kicked off the show with two other really high quality matches in the episode as well. Everything just seemed to happen for a reason. It had a fit and feel that made sense from top to bottom. And the two hours of NXT on Tuesday night absolutely flew by. In fact, it was the best episode of wrestling television that I think I've seen in the last two weeks. So that's including the last two Raws, the last SmackDown, and the last AEW Dynamite and Rampage. I believe this NXT episode stood above all of those. And that is what made it so impressive. Let's go ahead and allow me to explain to you why I believe that was the case. So NXT on Tuesday opened with a backstage brawl of superstars fighting to get their way into the ring in an attempt to answer Wesley's open challenge for the North American Championship. Idris Anofe and Malik Blade broke through, but they decided on the ramp to do rock, paper, scissors because they're best friends. That gave Daba Kato an opening to shoulder tackle both of them. He looked ready to take the challenge. Apollo Crews flew in from out of the crowd to attack Kato. And then Nathan Frazier, who was returning for the first time in four months, literally jumped off of Crews and Kato's bodies over them and then ran into the ring to become the challenger. And I just thought this was one of the more inventive, and more importantly, one of the most realistic uses of the open challenge stipulation that I can remember. And Frazier got a huge pop for winning the brawl, if you want to call it that, in his return. Now, if you contrast this to when John Moxley left an open contract for a world title match in the ring on AEW Dynamite, and it took Ace Steel coming out being the only guy who thought smart enough to go and take the contract and try to get a title match, or when Edge answered Austin Theory's open challenge for the U.S. title a couple weeks ago in the press conference immediately after Elimination Chamber, or the way AEW uses the open challenge concept to explain random matches that they book without ever having the challenge really open or answered in any meaningful way. Saying all of that, extra credit to NXT and Shawn Michaels for getting this right. Now, you can't do this every single time, but you can do versions of it many times. Three or four people all fighting their way. Um, someone chasing after someone and beating them into the ring. Uh, I believe they did that actually with Giovanni Vinci and Nathan Frazier, if memory serves, where like Vinci was going to answer an open challenge and Frazier was so fast, he just ran past him and got into the ring first. You can do so many different versions of this to make it way more realistic. In fact, there's a new television show I'm watching right now on Amazon Prime called The Consultant. And it, this isn't the same, of course, but... In that show, there's an episode. I'm not going to give you a huge spoiler. The show, I like it. There's, it's gotten some criticism. I think it's really inventive. So it is a suggestion. If you like Christoph Waltz uh, from Django Unchained and other uh, Quentin Tarantino and other movies, uh, he's an incredible actor. He's the star of the show. But let me get back to what the point is. There's a scene in one of the shows where there's an open office in this company, and the character basically says, whoever wants it the most, go take it. And people ran for the office because they all wanted to have their own office. It's very similar here. When an opportunity presents itself, especially in professional wrestling, sports, why wouldn't every person in the backstage area be clamoring for it? They would. And that's what they gave us on Tuesday night. So I digress. Let's actually get back to the professional wrestling here. Uh, so we had the North American title match, Wesley against Frazier. This started as a sprint. It slowed down briefly, and then it just picked right up. Each guy missed but landed clean on Tope's outside. They traded multiple counters and high risks until crashing with stereo running crossbodies. Frazier hit a springboard moonsault inverted DDT, then flipped off the top rope only to jump back onto the top rope 
for a superplex into a swinging neckbreaker. He dropkicked Lee off the apron for a header into the announce table, only to try a springboard splash outside. Lee moved, so he took his own header into the announce table. Lee followed with a tope con hero over the ring post, and then back in the ring, hit the cardiac kick to retain the title. This was an absolute blast and such a delightful way to open the show. In terms of a segment, from the moment the show opened through minute 17 of NXT, it got an A+. Just in terms of like, it could not have been executed better than what NXT did on Tuesday night. As far as the match goes, I went four stars, A-. For a match that really came out of nowhere, Frazier looked incredible in the loss. Lee came off as accomplishing something significant in the win, despite Frazier's relative lack of experience in TV time in NXT. And most importantly, this was just pure entertainment. As I said, stretching more than 15 minutes to open the show. Awesome, awesome segment. Uh, Axiom fought Hank Walker. Now, they got into it backstage following this open challenge brawl. They kind of prevented each other from getting involved in it. Axiom basically told Walker, hey, dude, you wouldn't have won anyway. That led to a shoving match and then an actual match in the ring. This was easily the best Walker has looked, mostly because Axiom just sold his ass off for him. Axiom ultimately caught Walker with a tight knee and then the golden ratio for the win. Axiom gave Walker respect after the bell and Scripps, I think it was Scripps, was shown stalking Axiom at the stage. It was really tough to see who it was. Uh, It was a much better match than I expected when it was initially booked. Good stuff overall. And another reason the whole brawl chase concept works because there were three different feuds that either started or advanced based on what happened in that brawl, Dabakato and Apollo Crews, Axiom and Hank Walker. Obviously, we got the match with Wesley and Nathan Frazier, and I believe there's another one that was in there that I'm just forgetting. But it was another reason because not only did it give us one match on the show, it actually gave us two. Now, Carmelo Hayes fought Tyler Bate in the main event. This was previously announced. Mello got turned inside out with the rebound lariat after Bate hit a bunch of signature moves. Fans were split, cheering both guys. Mello came back with a double underhook twisting slam, V-trigger, and lifted cutter. Bate caught Mello on the top rope for an avalanche northern light suplex, but then he missed a flying corkscrew after Trick Williams distracted him. Mello then caught Bate with a codebreaker, and nothing but net is, I believe, the name of his terrible finisher that they need to change. And after the bell, Mello told the camera there's no one left standing between him and Braun Breaker fighting at Stand and Deliver. This was a super solid main event for the show. It didn't exactly live up to my expectations, and it being on the same show as the match we just discussed with Wesley and Nathan Frazier, it put it in a tough spot. It was going to be really tough to kind of exceed that, but it was really strong. It was a nice win for Mello, another opportunity for him to shine as the clear number one contender now. It's going to be nice to get past Roadblock next week so that Braun Breaker and Carmelo Hayes can actually feud, like it can begin in earnest. There's just not much more to say about it other than good match, right result. Uh, Mako Satamora fought Zoe Stark. Roxanne Perez had on commentary. Mako caught Zoe flying with a kick to her injured knee, which was a really smart spot, and then hit the tightest frog splash I have ever seen. Stark hit a springboard corkscrew, but missed a high-risk move with Satamora hitting a great Death Valley driver and Scorpio rising for the win. Damn good match with obviously the right winner, given she has a title match coming up. Uh, More time, and this probably would have gotten a solid grade. It was a nice stage setter for Roadblock, with Mako and Roxy both going face-to-face in the ring after the bell. Sol Ruka fought Electra Lopez. Stark stared down Ruka as she passed during her entrance. That rematch challenge from Ruka is still outstanding in terms of the feud. 
Uh, Lopez tossed Sol off the ropes outside. Lopez then tried opening a turnbuckle pad to grab her brass knuckles, which I suppose she hid there previously. But Valentina Ferois at ringside showed Electra she had already removed them and had them in her hand. That allowed Ruka to surprise Lopez with Sol Snatcher out of the corner for the win. Lopez, after the bell, shoved Ferois in the head twice. So Valentina just kind of shrugged and used the brass knuckles for a one-punch knockout of Electra. There was good business here, I thought. Not a particularly notable or entertaining match, but the goals of the segment were accomplished, and the crowd did pop pretty big for Valentina finally standing up for herself and knocking out Electra. Uh, Gigi Dolan came out to the Toxic Attraction entrance. She cut the music and promised that song would never be heard again. Gigi said she can handle the pain and betrayal from JC Jane, because while JC is about the superficial shit and being a mean girl, Gigi has always been happy just to survive. Dolan then talked pretty candidly about being abused by her mother until she ran away from home to prove to her younger brother that she could make something of herself in WWE. She promised to put the final nail in the coffin of Toxic by bringing every single thing she has next week in the singles match against JC. Now, I legitimately did not know that Dolan still had this in her. She was a good promo as Priscilla Kelly on the independence, but she had only really been okay so far in WWE. She was at her best recently going back and forth with JC Jane in those couple segments they did. But this Gigi that we got on Tuesday was a totally different level. You could feel the passion and emotion and you believed every single word she said, mostly because everything she said was true. In fact, it was kind of only grazing the surface of some extremely sad and kind of debilitating stuff that Gigi has survived throughout her life. If you go on YouTube and search Priscilla Kelly's story, I believe there's a part one and a part two. You can learn the rest of it. She went through some unimaginable stuff. So if you're interested, I do suggest going, watching that, learning about her, and I think you'll appreciate what she is and what she's become uh, after seeing those videos on YouTube. Now back to the wrestling. It feels like this match is just better served for stand and deliver. Like it, it seems like it should be on a much bigger stage. Roadblock almost is like they're rushing this feud a little bit. But damn, did this amp me the hell up for this match next week. Legitimately great stuff from Gigi here. This was one of the best NXT promos we've gotten in a long time. And it was probably one of the best solo promos, not a confrontation or a multiple person type of promo segment, but someone in the ring by themselves talking to the camera and then ending it. Probably one of the best solo promos of the year so far. So big credit to Gigi Dolan for what she did on Tuesday night. Uh, JD McDonough got a promo package that included footage of the surgery on his detached retina. He talked about the specifics of the surgery, hoping others don't have to go through it and promising he would make Isla Dragunov suffer while breaking his will whenever they meet. McDonough's character has been almost a total 180 over the last couple of months in that he's finally found the gimmick and NXT has finally figured out how to properly present it. It was extremely rough at the beginning and I was heavily critical of it, but this was really solid as a promo package type of segment. Katana Chance uh, ran to find a trainer for Wendy Chu who got attacked in the parking lot and seemed to be holding her shoulder or her arm. Tiffany Stratton later predicted that she would be out indefinitely, saying the parking lot is not safe. Katana and Caden Carter walked out from the trainer's room after checking on Chu, with Stratton immediately accusing them, and Chance 
getting angry over that, of course, and challenging her to a match. So we got Chance against Stratton. Katana connected with a ton of her athletic moves. Alba Fire and Isla Dawn walk down to distract with Stratton catching Chance and hitting the prettiest moonsault ever, but she landed it on Chance's shins. She, like, she didn't even hit her like lower body. It was like her feet and her shins, uh, and she got the win. They were both out of position. I don't want to blame one or the other. It just wasn't executed well. Stratton, after the bell, said she was the best in NXT and wanted a women's title match at Stand and Deliver. Again, it is pure negligence that NXT doesn't have security cameras or enforcement or something in the parking lot. And I say that tongue in cheek, but really, it would be fun if NXT actually addressed that in kayfabe and turned it into an angle. Like they're doing the Hank Walker security guard type of angle. Why not do something where like Shawn Michaels beefs up security, but there's one person who keeps getting by it. And then one of the security guards gets angry that his job's getting criticized and goes after it. I don't know what the storyline would exactly be. I'm just spitballing here, but it would be interesting if they actually made an angle out of the NXT parking lot. Uh, the match was a bit disappointing. Not a huge deal. Fire and Dawn going after the KCs instead of the actual champions to me is a bit nonsensical. They changed the titles and Fallon Henley and Kiana James, the only people they're feuding with are each other. It, it, again, I thought the title change was ridiculous in the first place. And now doing this to me doesn't make any sense either. So I'm not sure what they're doing there. Uh, Stratton's promo was fine. I'm not sure putting her and Perez together at stand and deliver is the best move, but most of the top of the women's roster has already lost to Mandy Rose. So it does make some sense that they're going in this direction. Lastly, it does seem like Chu was legitimately written off here due to injury, which absolutely sucks. I think she's a favorite of the show. I would say friend of the show because we've never interviewed her, but she's a favorite of the show. So for me personally, that sucks. I like seeing her on TV. Hopefully she's not out too long. And I am curious what they're going to do with this angle of now Wendy Chu and Nikita Lyons being attacked in the NXT parking lot. Who's going to be responsible and to what end is that going to result? So we will see as that continues developing. Uh, Briggs and Jensen fought Indu Sure. Jensen told Briggs backstage that something feels off with Kiana James ever since Valentine's Day. Briggs pumped him back up and then changed his mood. Indu Sure dominated the match early, but as the faces were starting to gain momentum, Jensen was late on a double T move because his head was somewhere else. So he ate a choke slam from Sanga and the million dollar arm from Veer in the finish. After the bell, Jinder Mahal issued a six man challenge for the Creed brothers at Roadblock. Indu Sure came across as the best that they have, really, since reforming here. And Jinder's promo was just a big yikes. He is really bad on the mic. And I just cannot believe that they think he is a better talker than Sangha and or Veer. I mean, I know Veer is not great, but Sangha seemed very capable. So I don't know why they were all thrown together other than the obvious, which I hope was not the lone reason. Um, I don't know. I like Indusher better without Jinder. That's probably the best way I can put it. The Creeds were later walking backstage. They were frustrated that they couldn't find a partner or couldn't determine who should be their partner. They came across Damon Kemp, and it was clear that Brutus had told Julius they should ask Kemp, despite all their differences, to get them in the corner because he's a tough dude, he's calculated enough, and he would probably get the job done with them. He was the devil they know as opposed to the devil they don't. So Kemp, when he was asked by Julius, first he played like he was in, but then he was like, absolutely not. That pissed off Julius and Brutus was trying to hold him back. And then suddenly Braun Breaker jumps into the picture and takes the opportunity. Brutus popped for it massively. Julius was wary at first and then eventually agreed. And they all barked together. And I really liked the way this was booked because 
Those two guys, Damon Kemp and Braun Breaker, were the only ones in my head when I was thinking of a partner for the Creeds. And I was like, how the hell would they make Kemp work? And they walk up to Kemp and I'm like, I guess they're going with that. They swerved me. They bring Breaker in, who was the one that made the most sense. And it all kind of came together. So Briggs later told Jensen that he's got to work his shit out with James and Fallon Henley. Jensen apologized for screwing up, but he couldn't stop thinking about James is what he said. So Briggs said he would talk to Kiana on Brooks' behalf, leading to them hugging. You all know I'm tired of this entire deal. This wasn't terrible. I have a weird feeling next week, like Briggs is going to go talk to James and James is going to try to make out with him or like something like that's going to happen. I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm done with this. I don't like it. It's not for me. Maybe it's for some of you. I I could just do without it. Uh, Gallus was playing pool while agreeing not to let Pretty Deadly get away with embarrassing them last week while still holding their NXT UK title defeat 2PD over them after all this time. With Wolfgang raging, another dude in the bar accidentally bumped into him, so he beat that guy's ass. Pretty Deadly backstage were proud of instigating the situation when Mackenzie Mitchell showed them a tweet from Drew McIntyre that warned PD not to mess with Gallus. Deadly instead made fun of Scotland and demanded a face-to-face with Gallus next week. The PD guys were fun as usual, but the Gallus stuff, again, I said it last week. I may have even said it the week before. It is not hitting for me at all. They do not resonate in the United States like they did in NXT UK. It is, to me, just not working. And lastly here with NXT, Duke Hudson was telling stories to Chase U students when Thea Hale walked into class, so he apologized to her for his behavior last week. As Andre Chase walked to the podium, he told Hale he was not going to apologize to Chase because he wasn't sorry about what he said regarding Chase U. When Chase started teaching, Schism took over the screen in class, saying Chase U was failing and the campus under their own tree had plenty of room for the students. Chase was furious and he challenged Joe Gacy immediately after that. This was probably the first schism feud that for me makes total sense because both groups are focused on recruiting and molding minds just in completely different ways. This worked well, and while I'm not particularly excited for the match, the feud overall between Chase U and Schism, it's pretty interesting, I gotta admit. So that was everything that happened on NXT. As I noted, we will go ahead and do an NXT roadblock not so ultimate preview, given this is a special television show. Next week, I'm just going to quickly run down the matches on the card, who I expect to win, and we'll go from there. So we'll start with the women's championship, Roxanne Perez against Miko Satomura. I mean, I would love for Satomura to win. And you want to talk about an excused loss, Perez losing to the final boss, a legend in women's wrestling. That is totally acceptable. So I would consider, if I was booking the damn territory, having Mako win. But They are building for stand and deliver. I don't think Satomura in a women's title match there would be as attractive for WWE as featuring Roxanne Perez against Tiffany Stratton, two young up-and-comers who are going to be tenants of the women's division going forward. So I'm going to go ahead with Roxy retaining the title. But I, I don't know. I just, I wouldn't be shocked or totally surprised if it was changed. And I wouldn't be against them changing it if that's ultimately what they decided to do. We have Gigi Dolan against JC Jane, obviously, in the grudge match. And it is interesting, by the way, the top two matches on this card are both women's matches. So credit to NXT for that. It just, like, if this is going to be a one-off and they're not going to fight again, then Gigi has to win, especially coming out of her promo this week. But it feels to me like this is kind of just the start of their feud. I can't imagine it being a one-and-done match situation. So I'm going to go ahead with JC Jane as the winner. She cheats or does something that gives Gigi a reason to want a rematch. 
Uh, Braun Breaker and the Creed Brothers against Indu Shura in the six-man tag team match. I, I'm going with the baby faces, Breaker and the Creeds. I don't see a scenario in which you'd have Breaker lose, even in a six-man situation. You'd have him lose before ultimately perhaps losing the title at Stand and Deliver. That would not make sense to me. Uh, Dijak against Tony D'Angelo in a jailhouse street fight. This is basically an ambulance match, but with a jail cell instead of an ambulance. Uh, Dijak really should be beating D'Angelo here. Andre Chase against Joe Gacy. Probably a situation where Duke Hudson gets involved one way or another, and Gacy ends up winning. And then lastly, there's going to be the Grayson Waller effect with Shawn Michaels as the special guest. There's been a lot of people speculating that like HBK may put on the boots and wrestle Waller. I just don't see any way that happens. I mean, Michaels should not wrestle again, but if he does, doing it on an NXT you know, stand and deliver perhaps, which is where this would have to happen. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So I think he's going to create a situation where he gives Waller a match with an opponent of his choosing. And that opponent, I've mentioned this before, it's one of three people, either Dragon Lee making his debut in NXT, Shinsuke Nakamura, who's not being used right now on the main roster, but is huge in NXT historically and would be a great um, person to draw people into the stand and deliver show from a ticket buying standpoint. On that weekend, Shinsuke would make a lot of sense. And Johnny Gargano would also make a lot of sense. Right now, it does not appear as if he is set for anything at WrestleMania. You put Gargano here, and you have the very natural feud with him and Waller coming out of when Gargano left NXT and Waller attacked him with a steel chair. So Gargano has every reason to want revenge on Waller. So that's what I'm looking at for NXT Roadblock next Tuesday. And we will, of course, have a full breakdown of NXT Roadblock along with the AEW Dynamite following AEW Revolution next Thursday on our normal NXT and AEW episode. Now, before we wrap up today, though, we are going to talk New Japan Pro Wrestling Battle in the Valley. This was held over a week ago in San Jose, California, and the two big matches on the card, at least for the interests of American fans, the general American fans, were Jay White against Eddie Kingston in a Loser Leaves NJPW match and the IWGP Women's Championship featuring two former WWE stars, Kyrie against Mercedes Monet, the former Sasha Banks. So we're going to go ahead and break down both of these matches and we're going to give some thoughts on the back end of them. So let's start with Jay White and Eddie Kingston, Loser Leaves NJPW. This followed a loser leaves Japan, as in the country, match. Uh, White lost that to Hikaleo at NJPW The New Beginning just one week before Battle in the Valley. So into the match, White countered a back fist with a flatliner and a full lift German suplex with an incredible sell by Eddie. They exchanged chops for what seemed like five straight minutes. Before White hit a half and half suplex, Kingston escaped Blade Runner with an eye gouge. White came back with a low blow and Blade Runner, but Kingston rolled outside. He then came back in and surprised Jay with a back fist for a false finish. With White on his knees, Kingston offered a fist bump, only for White to literally spit on his fist. So Kingston hit three more back fists and a Northern Lights driver for a 2.99 false finish. Eddie lifted him once more on a hug and hit a second Northern Lights driver for the win in a fantastic 19-minute match. White was going to speak after the bell when David Finlay attacked him with a shillelagh, and really, he said a bunch of stuff, but we don't need to get into that. The selling both ways in the match was great. White was heavily protected, basically eating six finishers, 
Kingston put him over and even directed an ovation from the fans after the bell, and White went out on his back for Hikaleo, Kingston, and Finlay all inside of eight days. I went four stars a minus for the match, but if you went a little bit higher, I wouldn't blame you necessarily. And as for the immediate question, what is next for Jay White? Well, let's kind of take a look at the situation overall, right? He was heavily featured in the build for Forbidden Door last year, and he has made numerous AEW appearances. But one would think him dropping consecutive loser leaves matches for Japan and NJPW would indicate that WWE is the destination, given AEW has the NJPW relationship. Now, granted, they could get around the stipulation by saying White wrestles in Forbidden Door you know, next year, or this year, I should say, on behalf of AEW. And he's doing it in America, so it doesn't headbutt against those stipulations. But I see no reason why he would have done two loser leaves matches if he was just going to pop up on Forbidden Door later this year and fight someone else from New Japan. That, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense. So it stands to reason, if White's going to AEW, then he'll either show up at Revolution or the following Dynamite. So if we get past next Wednesday without seeing Jay White in AEW, the Raw after WrestleMania would then make all the sense in the world for White to debut in WWE. And it would be quite a signing. He could step right in as an immediate top heel in a program with Cody Rhodes. He has high-level promo skills, incredible work rate style. It'd be quite a coup for WWE. And I think I even booked the damn territory a couple podcasts ago And if I didn't, I meant to. One way they could book this, which would be insanely interesting and exciting, would be John Cena beating Austin Theory for the United States Championship at WrestleMania, which generates a ton of headlines, gets a big pop for WWE, all that. He comes out on Raw. He does an open challenge. Jay White makes his debut by answering that challenge and beating John Cena. Puts White over huge. Cena does good business, you know, in terms of, you know, taking the title off theory, sure, but getting big headlines for WWE and then really putting over Jay White, who is way more established at this point in his career than Austin Theory is. Perhaps not as much with an American audience, but he's way more advanced in terms of wrestling, promo work, all that type of stuff. So that's how I would book it if I had the pen, if I could book the damn territory. I don't know what WWE is going to do if they do end up signing Jay White, but that scenario is really interesting to me. Let's move on to the IWGP Women's Championship match. Kyrie, the first champion ever, by the way, defending against Mercedes Monet. So this was the co-main event of the show. Mercedes looked great. Her theme, though, is just awful. I believe she had Hannah Kimura tribute gear, which was a really nice touch, and the hair was much improved from her debut. So Mercedes quickly got Kyrie in the bank statement, but the champion escaped. Later, she put her in the tree of woe with some great mule kicks in the corner. They did a really poor elevated double stomp where Kyrie only hit air, like she didn't even touch Mercedes, but she came back with a sliding basement forearm and a flying forearm. Mercedes hit Meteoras flying off the apron and top rope, but a near fall frustrated her, so she removed a corset and some furry boots, I guess, to get more serious. Mercedes ducked a back fist and hit a cutter. They had some really nice counters with Mercedes briefly getting into a bank statement only to eat the cutlass back fist. Mercedes caught Kyrie running for a Bailey to belly homage. 
then did three amigos with Kyrie countering the third into a DDT. Mercedes then used a referee to avoid a cutlass with the referee getting knocked out. So they went up the ramp up to the stage. Kyrie tried something, but Mercedes caught her uh, and set up a table only for Kyrie to escape underneath Mercedes and powerbomb her through the table outside. Back inside the ring, Mercedes blocked the insane elbow with double boots, but Kyrie blocked the frog splash with double knees. They went back to back with Mercedes lifting Kyrie for the moneymaker, her new finisher, which is a gory bomb, flipped into a DDT to win the IWGP Women's Championship. The finish here looked 100 times better than what we got in Mercedes' debut, where she hit Kyrie with the same move. And it was sudden, but it was also a really appropriate way to end the match. I went 4.25 stars and an A. They shook hands and hugged afterwards with Kyrie physically strapping up Mercedes to kind of end the entire segment. This was definitely an I'm back moment for Mercedes. There didn't seem to be any ring rust for her whatsoever, and it was smart to have her begin with a familiar opponent. Now, the exciting part of her Japan run and the title reign that she now has is going to be her fighting the stardom women in matches that we've never seen before. There's not really much more to say, though, beyond that, because she didn't get to speak in the ring, and it was just a really good match with two really good wrestlers. The one thing that was noticeable is her star is far bigger than this tiny venue in San Jose. So I'm really interested to see her in the Tokyo Dome, wrestling in the Tokyo Dome, or in Osaka, or in some of the bigger venues in Japan against some of these top-tier Japanese women's wrestlers, Joshi wrestlers. That'll be really cool and intriguing. In terms of what she does next, there was an interview with Bailey, I believe, this past week, where uh, Bailey was asked, do you think Sasha eventually returns to WWE? She said yes. Now, does that mean she'll immediately return to WWE once her foray into Japan is over? Will she try to do both simultaneously? Will she perhaps work in, as an independent contractor for a while, work in Japan, maybe even do a couple AEW appearances, and then come back and sign a contract with WWE? Or is Bailey wrong? I would assume she's not wrong, given they're best friends. And by the way, Bailey uh, was at this show. I believe Naomi was as well. So, you know, there's a lot of speculation in terms of what's going to happen going forward for Mercedes, but at this point, it's a wait-and-see situation. We'll find out when she lets us know. That's really all we can uh, take from this at this point. But there are two very good matches for both Jay White and Mercedes here against two, of course, very good opponents in Eddie Kingston and Kyrie, respectively. The rest of the battle in the Valley card, I did skip over, I'd say, half of the matches. I watched the main event, which was Kazuchika Okada retaining the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. It was good. It wasn't a match you need to go uh, seek out. But, uh, you know, should you watch these two matches? Yeah, if you can find them, I'd watch them. Uh, this was an NJPW pay-per-view, so it is not on NJPW World. I had to go out of my way to find these matches and watch them. If you feel like it, then I suggest it. It's not going to be a waste of time, either of them. And if, in particular, you're a WWE fan and you're interested in JY potentially going to WWE, then I think seeing this will kind of give you a really good idea of what he's about going into that match. And you can also watch plenty of Jay White matches, of course, on NJPW World. But folks, that wraps up today's episode. It's a short one. We're just talking NXT and these two matches from New Japan Pro Wrestling. As I said, a reminder on what the schedule for Getting Over looks like this week. Our WWE episode is already in the can, so be sure to listen to that if you have not already. We will be back Thursday with your AEW Revolution Ultimate Preview. Of course, we'll also break down 
Rampage and Dynamite from the last week on Sunday. Once AEW Revolution is off the air, we will have an instant analysis podcast for you. And the plan as of right now is to also provide an AEW Revolution pre-show live on Twitter spaces at Getting Overcast. That would most likely begin 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Stay tuned to the Twitter account at Getting Overcast for more about that on Sunday. Now, if you follow us on Twitter, or if you're interested in following us on Twitter, as I said, the handle is at Getting Overcast. You'll also be able to vote in pre- and post-show polls ahead of and following AEW Revolution. Your voice gets to be heard on this show. You can also DM us, tweet us uh, for questions, comments that we put on as many of our shows as possible. We also, of course, have the new The Last Word segment on our WWE episodes where you can ask us questions about wrestling or not about wrestling, and we will answer them on that show. So the point of saying all that is to tell you there's every reason in the world to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. On the way out, allow me to give you one more reminder. That is that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defy. So head over to Apple and Spotify, drop those five-star ratings on Apple, leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on this show. Whether you do that or not, I appreciate you being a listener to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We will be back Thursday with our next episode, but at this point, it is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now. 